0: All right, good evening, everybody. It's a pleasure to be with you on this uh, Tuesday evening where we are starting a new course this evening, which is a course that I suppose is, is long overdue. And uh, because it's the basics of Jewish philosophy, but just so we should appreciate what the basics of Jewish philosophy is, it's anything but basic. When we talk about Jewish philosophy, we are now going to be talking about um, the fundamental beliefs or what Judaism believes or be, to be more specific, what the spectrum of Jewish belief is. So one of the things that is quite challenging within people for people when they first become involved with Judaism in any level, shape, or form, is they want to know what is the Jewish position on a particular philosophical idea. So whether that be... Um, you know, life after death. What's the Jewish position on life after death? Or what's the Jewish position of uh, the Messianic era? Or all any of these things. And the answer can't be, Oh, <coughs> the Jewish position is this. Because there is no standardized Jewish position. Especially with regards to things that are divine in nature. You just say, what's the Jewish position of doing a melacha on Shabbat? So the answer is, you're not allowed to do melacha on Shabbat. That's pretty straightforward. So when it comes to halacha. There are a lot of areas which are very straightforward that you do this and you can't do that. When it comes to the world of philosophy, most of it is speculation. Now, just so you appreciate it's not speculation, what we call Yeshmi ayam, that people are just making stuff up as if, uh, you know, oh, is there life after death? death? Hmm, yes, there is. And what does it look like? Well, it's clouds and fairies and golf courses and the like. So no one is suggesting that. But what it is, is there is a lot of tradition around very murky ideas. So, for example... Is there life after death? Yes, there's life after death. What does life after death look like? Well, if you go through prophetic writings and various other rabbinic writings, there's like very murky ideas. It's almost like, um, to, like if you had a dream at night and you wake up the next morning, people tell you, "Well, what was the dream?" You're like, "Well, there was a there was there was a cat and a monkey and a, and, and, and and a bed and we were on a plane to Timbuktu and uh, I lost my passport and." You like sort of get just just ideas and you're trying to piece it together and you're trying to make a logical rational um, idea of what uh, the Jewish position is but because you're using such um, such such gray material to begin with you can never come to a definitive end you, the best you can come to is a, an approximation or an opinion so when you're talking about Jewish philosophy is you're gonna <coughs> we're gonna be going through different positions within Judaism on different topics so one of the things that when I first got involved in Judaism you know observance first time in Yeshiva one of the things I loved about it was the absolute clarity that I felt Yeshiva gave me so there's good and there's bad there's black and there's white and I felt well this is fantastic because you know there are answers and the more I learnt about Judaism the more I realized that actually there's there's almost no black and white there's actually a lot of gray and there are lots of different opinions on different things And all of a sudden I had to be taken out of this world of the Jewish opinion to the range of Jewish opinions. Which sort of takes us to this idea that really Judaism doesn't have dogma. Now, if you're not familiar with the term dogma, dogma is something very much uh, promoted and publicized by the Christians. And it is the idea that there is a set of beliefs that you have to subscribe to. And if you do not subscribe to those beliefs, then you... Uh, you are a sinner, or you do not merit uh, the world to come, and the like. And Judaism historically never had sets of beliefs. It had sets of mitzvot, things you had to do. So you had to keep Shabbat, you had to keep kosher, you had to eat matzah, shaykalulah. Those things you had to do, but very, very little about what you have to believe. And so throughout the ages, from you know biblical times until relatively modern. Different rabbinim have tried to develop, well, what is it that Judaism believes? And not everybody agrees. (coughs) So the most standardized um, opinion about Jewish belief at the moment is uh, what's called the Yud Gimel Ikrim of the Rambam. The 13 principles of faith according to the Rambam. So this has been made into two well-known Jewish texts. One is uh, Yigdal, that we say every Friday night. And the other is the Anima min. So my guess is you are familiar with them from the, whether it be from Morachav Min David songs or from Yom HaShoah ceremonies. Um, the idea of Anima Amin Be'emunah Shlema. So if you look at the end of your Shachrit service in your Sidur, there are 13 uh, Anima which are, the thirteen principles of the Rambam about what it means to be Jewish. I believe in God. I believe there's no other divinities. I believe that uh, God is all powerful. He's precede. Uh, he precedes everything. He'll be there afterwards. And the prophets and reward and punishment and a world to come, etc., etc. So those are the Rambams. But it's not like they, the, like That is Jewish dogma. That you have to believe in those thirteen. And if you don't, you're you're going to be in eternal damnation. Judaism has always been much more uh, a faith based on action than a faith based on faith. So if you do mitzvot and you do what's supposed to be done, so kolakavot, you know, that's more or less how we, we, we gauge people's relative merits and, and benefits within the Jewish community rather than what do you believe? Who knows what people believe? So the Rambam has his 13 approaches. Other rabbinim have different approaches of what is important, what's not important. So so what we're going to try to do over, the, over this course is try to go through a number of fundamental philosophical ideas within not, not uniquely Jewish, but the Jewish uniquely Jewish approaches to answering those uh, particular questions. So I thought let's start with one, which uh, I think the title might be a little misleading, and the title which I've given is "Where is God in Corona?" Which uh, I imagine if I were to ask everybody here to explain, what do you understand by the quote? Like, what's the show going to be about? So, um, my guess is people have different answers. So let me just sort of like uh, put it out there what what it is going to be about and what it's not going to be about. So as we we are living through a pandemic, which it'd be fair to say is a natural disaster of some form, and it's a natural disaster like many other kinds of natural disasters, whether it be earthquakes or floods or fires or whatever the case might be, but something beyond the control of man. Unless you're going through conspiracy theories of Wuhan genetically engineered uh, viruses, but it, it, you got a you got a, a a natural disaster that's transpiring, and the question is, you know, where's God in all of this? Is is God behind it? Is God making it happen? Is it God not making it happen? And the question that I want to deal with tonight is is really about this idea of in nature, where's God? You know that we have this thing called nature. And we have the thing called God. And are they the same thing? Is God nature? Is nature God? Or are they separate forces? And a lot of what we're going to share about tonight are going to be three very different approaches to answering that particular question, each of which is, I wouldn't say 100% mutually exclusive from one another, but very different. (coughs) And the idea being is that when we look at the world and, and how we approach uh, the natural world that when we see things happening, do we say, Listen, this is God's, you know, God's handiwork and uh, God is spreading the corona and God is uh, making tsunamis and earthquakes and, and God's behind all of it? Or we say, No, that's, you know, nature's nature and it's sort of like a wind up toy. You wind it up and you let it go. And God is God and, you know, the two, you know, should, you know, do not meet. Now, Before we go into uh, these uh, three approaches, um, I I do want to quote a a very, it's a Jewish opinion, but it's a very non-traditional and non-orthodox approach. And it's a book that my guests, many within our community have. I know my mother has the book. And it is a book called Why Bad Things Happen by a guy named Harold Kushner. So Harold Kushner is a think he was reform and then he became reconstructionist. Don't quote me on exactly what he was or is, but he himself suffered a terrible trauma. And then he had a, a child that was born with a, um, with a terminal illness, of which when you age very rapidly and you die, you know, of age related um, causes, you know, in your early teens. And he struggled as a, as a rabbi, as a, you know, philosophically is why would God make this thing happen? And the conclusion that he comes to is that God is powerless in the face of nature. So that God created nature almost as a standalone entity. God created the world. He put the natural forces into effect. And off they went. <coughs> and now nature, as we all know, has, shows no mercy. Nature does not distinguish between people you know you can be the wealthiest man in the world or the poorest uh, poorest individual in the world and if you have if the corona comes your way it's going to get you it's not go- it's, uh, nature's gonna it's nature doesn't going to care about status or class or race or religion so so man so god is powerless in the face of nature now that is a very heretical thing to say from an orthodox point of view the idea that God is powerless in the face of nature is not a uh, uh, not a Jewish approach. I think it's just uh, say it like that. it is not a Jewish approach. But that being said, is there going to be some other approaches which sound similar, but they are quite different. So to that, for after that lengthy introduction, I would like to now try to share my screen with you. Let's see if I can do this. Um, hmm. let see what's happening here. Baby Baba. That's not happening. Why is it not share my screen? Hmm. hmm. Sorry, man, huh? It's not allowing me to share my screen. Hmm. Give me two seconds while I work on this uh At dead end I'm going to You're gonna have to trust me. I'm going to quote a whole bunch of sources if there's something that you uh, would like me to uh, reiterate, I'll go. All right. So, at the beginning of, uh, in Pirke Avot, in chapter, in the fifth chapter of Pirke Avot, it starts talking about this idea of uh, why do, uh, why does pestilence or the plague come to the world? So, it says as follows. Dever lo olam. So, plagues come to the world for sins punishing, punishable by death, according to Torah, but which have not been referred to the court. So, the idea is that the, the Mishnah is trying desperately to say, if there's something bad happening in the world, there must be a, a divine uh, origin of that. So, if there's a plague coming to the world... There's God behind it. And if God's behind it, so why is it? So it gives a whole bunch of reasons. So the particular reason that the Mishnah gives for uh, <coughs> for plague is that there have been uh, people who have done terrible crimes. And we as a society I see them doing these things and we, we're indifferent to them. So Hashem says, if judgment is not being done on earth, I will bring divine judgment from Shemaim. All right, so that's the um, idea. Now, what exactly are the crimes that we're doing? So the, the commentaries over there, Rabbi Yona and Rashi explain that it's uh, terrible crimes that you would either be put to death by the Beit Din. so people are murdering, people are committing terrible atrocities, um, according to Torah law, but, and, and no one is bringing them to task. Parenthetically, um, according to the Rambam, uh, when the tribe of, uh, the, the people of Shem so in the beginning of Breshet, in Parshat, um, in Parshat by, by Yishlach, there's a story that Dina, the daughter of Yaakov, goes out and this guy named Shem takes her, abducts her, rapes her and holds her captive, to which the brothers Shimon and Levi go and make uh, an agreement with the people of Shem that if you circumcise yourself, then we will marry you into you, you can marry us and everything, we will all live happily ever after. And the people of Shem do so. And then while they after they've all been circumcised, Shimon and Levi, they're in pain, they can't move, Shimon and Levi go and wipe out the whole town. So the Rambam comes and says so there's a big debate. Were they right or wrong to do so? They were very duplicitous, uh, duplicitous in their converse, in their negotiation. They said, you know, they created a deal, and Yaakov gets very angry with him that they that they wiped out the city of Shem. And the Rambam comes and says, No, they deserved it. Because if you've got a society that cannot punish people who do crimes like rape, well then the society doesn't deserve to survive. And so if we in a society have criminals in our midst that are doing terrible things, and we, even if we have the power to do something, we do nothing, so then Hashem will send us some divine wrath. Okay, that's that's the way the Mishnah goes. Now, I want to go through, even though that's the case, that the way it's explained through the Mishnah, I do want to explain <coughs> three different Broad approaches to um, understanding where Hashem is. So if Hashem is coming, does that mean Hashem is directing the plague to us? That it's almost like everything that comes down from Shemai is um, is happening. And that every person who got the plague is Hashem saying he's going to get the plague. And he's going to get it And she's going to be survived. She's going to not get it. And etc. Etc. So by way, just before we go into those approaches, just want to explain two broad, two general principles. Which are... Um, I wish I could say these principles are very easy to explain, but they themselves are up for debate. But there's a concept of Hashkacha Pratit and Hashkacha Klalit. So what Hashkacha? So you got the Mashkiach who's in the kitchen and he's uh, watching over all the kosher food, making sure so that's to be Mashkiach. So it's to, uh, to watch over. That's what Hashkacha is. And then you have Pratit, which is individual, and Klalit, which is... Uh, general and societal. So to use an economic term, there's micro providence and there's macro providence. So Hashem has a sort of macro system in place and Hashem has a micro system in place. Macro system is what's going to happen to nations, communities and the world. And micro systems is what's happening to, to Gad Krebs. And these two forms of hashgah, um work, you know, alongside one another. By and large, there's a Hashkacha there's Pratit, which is my relationship with Hashem. What's happening in my world is Hashem coming and, uh, you know, is Hashem coming and uh, doing things in my life that are unique to me. And there's Hashkacha Pratit, which is like on a macro level. So, for example, if we look at the, um, at the economy at the moment, so the economy is in a downturn. But even when the economy is heading down, there are certain people that are benefiting quite significantly. So even though everything, by and large, the whole, the whole economy has dropped, but the bike store up in Gordon says he's never been busier. So now everyone's on quarantine, everyone's getting the bikes out the garage, everyone's riding bike. So there will be cases where the prati, the individual, uh, does well, even though the society is struggling. And vice versa, sometimes you have a boom economy and certain people are still struggling to make ends meet. So from a, from a philosophical point of view, there'll be times where Hashgachah Klalit, when what's happening on society as a whole is, is, is prosperity in the land of Israel and the Jewish people as a whole are are, are, doing, are, are really benefiting from the kindness of Hashem, even though individual Jews may be going completely against Hashem's will. So that would be, and I'm not making a judgment here, but just the idea is that when the establishment of the state of Israel was an incredible kindness from Hashem, even though a large number of the Jews that were, you know, uh, in the state of Israel and, and building the state of Israel were completely um, heretical, believed, had completely heretical beliefs according to Hashem. So even though, so there's Hashka HaKalit, which was fantastic, even though Hashka pratit, different individuals were not so great. In the opposite... During the Shoah, you had a terrible, terrible uh, calamity affecting the entire Jewish people, even though there were people who individually were incredibly pious. So you've got these two systems going of general providence over the entire world or society or community and individual. So those are two broad um, definitional ideas. And now we're going to go into the... um, into the opinions themselves, So, okay. So, the first opinion I want to talk is, uh, is that of the Rambam. So the Rambam and the Ramban, so this is both we call Maimonides as well as Nachmanides. So they say that this idea of providence, that I can have a relationship with Hashem and that everything that happens to me has been divinely ordained by Hashem. So, every time I, I trip over my feet, my car has an accident, I lose my wallet. When Hashem, if you want to say share that, that does exist, but only for people who have an incredibly close relationship to Hashem. So, I'm going to read from here from the Guide to the Perplex. It says, The greater share is that which a person has obtained of this divine influence, on account of his, both his physical predisposition and his training, the greater must be, must be the effect of divine providence upon him. For the action of divine providence is proportional to the endowment of intellect that has been mentioned. Meaning the more that one has developed the relationship with Hashem, the closer that providence will be. The relation of divine providence is therefore not the same to all men. The greater the human perfection of a person has attained, the greater the benefit he derives from divine providence. This benefit is very great in the case of prophets. And varies according to the degree of their prophetic faculty, as it varies in case of pious and good men, according to their piety and uprighteousness. So when am I going to say that what, everything that happens to me is Hashem sending me a message? According to the Rambam, when you're a prophet, when you're a person on an incredibly high level, so then everything that happens to you has been divinely you know, directed by the great architect Hashem. But Gad Krebs sitting in Sadavs in 2020, no, that, that is, you are not on, I'm not on that level. God is not communicating with me in such a way. Now, the Ramban says it slightly differently, but the same idea. He says, in a perfect world, what should happen? So, I, I'm feeling terrible stomach aches. So, what should I do with my stomach ache? Eh? says, in a perfect world, you know what you should do? You should go to the prophet, or you should daven to Hashem, and Hashem will heal you. You don't go to the doctor. Who goes to the doctor? People who are subjugated to the world of nature. So 99.999% of humanity throughout the ages, since they have not reached these levels of, of uh, divine uh, spiritual elation and, and hashgacha, therefore they don't have the ability to tap into divinity and ask Hashem to heal them in any in, in meaningful way. They only have the natural world. So because they only have the natural world, <coughs> so therefore you've got to go to the doctor. But Halavai, says the Ramban, I'll read it uh, in its original, it says, When you're on holding on an incredibly high level, so then you don't rely on nature. Nature's only for those, for for uh, for the Amcha, for the for the low people of the world. So they've got to rely on nature. But the rest of us, the well, rest of us, the, the, the ho- Holy... So they don't have nature. So what the, what the Ramban and Ramban are both saying over here is that w- the world we live in is, is natural. And things that happen are happened by nature because God is only involved with those that are on the highest spiritual levels. So for you and me, so where's Corona? So the answer is Corona is a natural calamity. Why is Hashem making him do it? You're asking the wrong question. Natural calamities happen because Hashem has created the world in such a way that the, this is how nature happens. It doesn't mean Hashem can't stop it. It's just that is how Hashem has set up the world. Hashem, if Hashem wanted to stop it, if Hashem wants to do things, Hashem can do. But the, we have to operate in the world as if everything is done by nature. Now, I'm sure you all have a lot of questions on, on how to deal with that. But just hold on to it because my guess is that the first time you hear of the Rambam, uh, it sounds quite heretical. Because we, we don't like that. So we're going to now go from the Rambam. So that's the first opinion that there's nature. The Corona is nature. Now we're going to go to the opposite extreme. So the opposite extreme is comes from, uh, initially from the Ramchal. The Ramchal, of Moshe Chaim Luzzatto, who lived in Italy in the 1700s. And uh, was developed much more by, by a rabbi named Rav Eliyahu Desla. So, Rav Desla was the Rav in Manchester at the turn of the the beginning of the 20th century. Eventually, uh, he le- goes to Ben and he wrote a book. Called the, m- m- there's a book in his name called the Mechtab Eliyahu, which is the word Mechtab means letters from Elijah. So, from Eliyahu Desla, letters from Eliyahu. And it is probably the most influential philosophical book written in the 20th century. Um, now, when I when I was uh, in my formative uh, yeshiva training, it was the only book that you really learned. And so if you've ever heard a sure by Rabbi Tetz, anything Rabbi Tetz says about Jewish philosophy comes from the Mikhtav liyahu, and which comes from the Ramchal. And uh, dare I say that so, so ubiquitous has the Ramchal and Rab Dessler's opinions come in Jewish philosophy that they've almost become the N-word on Jewish philosophy. So that if this, if you were to say, what is the Jewish philosophical position? Definitely the non-Hasidic opinion, the Hasidim are different. But in the non-Hasidic world, what Rav Desler says is going to become almost the standard approach to Jewish philosophy. So what is, what is this? So if we say that the Rambam's approach is that Corona is nature and divine providence is only for those unique individuals. So the opposite approach is there is no such thing as nature. Nature is purely an illusion, so when you walk out into the world and you hear feel the wind blow, the only reason you think there 's a wind blowing is because you lack the the ability to sense Hashem in the wind now it 's not that say it 's not that Hashem is operating through nature; it's that there is no such thing as nature. everything is hashem, so there is nothing trivial. In the world, everything that happens comes directly from Hashem, and therefore, every single thing that happens in my life is an opportunity for me to say, "What is Hashem trying to tell me? What is the message that Hashem is trying to give me?" So you look. So the Corona is hitting some people; it's not hitting other people. It's hitting some communities; not hitting. Each individual needs to. And now this is according to the the Gemara and Brachot, which says, "Yisurim ba When bad things happen, you you should do a self-accounting. You should check your deeds and do a real uh, self-assessment as why these bad things are happening to you. So according to Rav Desla, is that the only reason, you know, these things happen is because Hashem wants them to happen. There's not a a, a leaf that falls off a tree that doesn't have the divine spark, you know, behind it. Everything is Hashem. So for those who are... um. It's funny, I'm, I'm, I'm in an interesting age group at the moment. I, I don't know if I'm considered middle age yet, in the 40s, maybe. But um, uh, I'm, at, I'm at that age where the movies, I'm going to quote, um, too old for the young people, they've never seen them, and too young for the older people. So I don't know. But if you've seen the movie called The Matrix, so The Matrix is a movie where the world you see is an illusion, and but because you believe it, you think it's real. So that's the way Rav Dessler looks at the world, is that the world you see is really an illusion. There is no such thing. There's no table. There are no books. It's all Hashem. And because my glasses are convinced that this, 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 that this world exists, so my job in now as a Jew is to try and cover as much of Hashem as is possible. So everything I need to do. So when I go to work, um, I, I think I'm working, but ultimately it's Hashem who's allowing me to have success or is allowing me to get the business. It's got nothing to do with my efforts, but I just, I go through, I need to have a constant awareness of the fact that Hashem is, uh, is behind absolutely everything. So when you, when you go, um, so I'm just going to quote this from Rav Desla. So Rav Desla, there's an English translation of his book in the library we've got, it's called Strive for Truth. It's a translation of some of his letters, not all of them, and he says what we mistakenly call the laws of nature are simply those things that, for whatever reason, God wants to happen simi- uh, happen similarly time and time again. What we mistakenly call a miracle is simply the kind of thing that God decides should happen once and not many other times there 's only the will of god there 's no other cause, so the whole idea of 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 miracles is that just It's it's a miracle nature is just the frequency with which it happens, but there is ultimately there's no difference whatsoever To the uh, to the uh, ideas behind those two concepts All right, so we've got the first two approaches the one is on the one hand It's the Rambam and the Ramban we say that nature is nature Hashem is almost not involved in nature well, it's not in a, in a, on an interpersonal level, on an individual level, that nature runs its course. And then on the other hand, you've got Rav Desla that, uh, and the Ramchal who says that no, everything happens for a reason. And so therefore, we have to be able to see that there is no such thing as nature. Nature is merely an illusion that we need through our own spiritual and personal development to be able to see through. The last approach that you are going to place is through a book called the Seyfahi Ikarim which was written by Rav Yosef Albo, who is one of the early Rishonim. I think we are talking of 1400s, if I'm not mistaken. I'll stand corrected. But he wants to take a bit of a hybrid approach. And he uses an analogy. He says, you know, if, if a farmer plants a seed, so if he doesn't plant the seed and there's plenty of rain, so nothing's going to grow. If he plants the seed... And it doesn't rain so nothing's going to grow the only way it's going to work is if he plants a seed and it rains so that's the what we call the mushal, the nimshal the moral is that there needs to be this combination of earthly action and divine uh, interaction so the only way to see the hand of hashem in one's life is not sit idly by but you rather you got to work hard if one works hard yet still receives a negative outcome then man conclude that he's not found favor in Hashem's eyes. So that's the idea that you've planted your seed, but it doesn't rain. So even though you've done everything you should, but for some reason Hashem decides it's you know it's not going to rain. However, without working hard, you, you don't know whether the reason that you didn't reap the reward is because either because you weren't working hard or because it didn't rain. There you don't know. So he quotes a verse, which you may be familiar from, not from the verse in Tehillim, but rather from the song. So the song says, It says that if God does not uh, build a house, the, the the laborers are working in vain. If God does not guard a city, the watchmen uh, keep their watch in vain. So what do you mean the watchmen keep their watch in vain? It means if Hashem builds the city, it's not who's building the city, the, the man's building the city. But if Hashem, you don't see Hashem behind it, so then you're not really doing anything. You need man to be involved and you need man to be involved. But you also have to be aware of the fact that Hashem is going to be the arbiter about whether you're going to have success or not. So let's look at this in a, in a, in a, in a medical say. So according to the Rambam, you, if you get sick, you go to the doctor. Why do you go to the doctor? Because it's, you, you're bound by the forces of nature and doctors deal with nature. So you go to the doctor. That's the Rambam. According to the Ramchal and the... Uh, you when you get sick, what should you be doing? You should be saying, Rabbi Shalom Hashem, what have I done?" And you have to do a cheshbon nefesh, and you have to say, "Why is Hashem bringing this to me?" Halavaya, if I was on a high level, I suppose they both agree. If I was on a high level, I wouldn't go to the doctor; I would just dive into Hashem. But what can I do? I'm not on a high level; I have to go. But this is a message from Hashem. The Rambam says it's not a message from Hashem. The Rav Dessner said, it is a message from Hashem. The Rav Rav Yosef Alba always come and say, it's a bit of both. So, what is this? You get sick. Okay, so what do you got to do now? You got to go to the doctor. But don't think it's the doctor that's healing you. According to Rav Desla, the doctor's doing nothing, it's all from Hashem. According to the Rambam, there's no Hashem, it's just the doctor. According to Rav Yosef Abor, it's a combination of the two. I need to go to the doctor. I have to take my medicine, I have to socially isolate, I have to keep my distance, I have to wash my hands. And, the, and I've got to see the doctor. And hopefully, Hashem will be kind to me. Maybe Hashem will allow the rain to fall. But I've got to plant my seed. So there's this combination of having my own involvement in the world. But still, even once I involve myself in the world, there's no guarantee that there's going to be a, a positive outcome. So we've got to look at the world. And, and there's a certain... Each of these cases, sort of, we'll we we'll, we'll bring it out to practically. You know how, how are we going to, you know. So what? But um, each of these cases, the last one is that uh, is the so so the way that Rav Rav Yosef Abel come out is that Corona is natural. It's a natural disease, but whether you get it is the div- is div- is mazal. Now, um, what does mazal mean? It's a you You got to look at Hashem. The corona is natural, but some people, it's like um, the, the Gemara comes and says, Everybody needs muzzle Even the Sefer Torah in the Aron Kodesh. So what does it was a mean Muzzle? So every Sefer Torah in the, in, the, in the Ark was written by a scribe who spent countless hours... Um, uh, hunched over his uh, his parchment, writing everything. They all have the enormous, the same amount of dedication and devotion put into the Sefer Torah. And some of the sefer Torah get taken out every week to be read. Some get taken out once a year to be read. Some get taken out only on Simchas Torah to be danced with. So why do some Sefer Torahs merit so much success, so much air time, so to speak? And some sefer Torah get no air time whatsoever. So what's the answer? Muzzle! Hashem is a divine muzzle. So even here is that when Hashem says there's going to be this uh, magifah, there's going to be this uh, plague. So who gets it and who doesn't get it? That is the divine, uh, you know, effect. So I've got to do everything in my own power. I've got a social distance. I've got to wash my hands. I've got to do all these things. But ultimately, even if I do all those things, I'm not necessarily going to be protected because the divine providence doesn't work in the same way as Rav Desla. So according to Rav Desla, if you put in this, according to Rav Desla, if you are the most pious Jew ever, and you only do righteous things, and you are perfect in everything, bad things, you know, you are, cannot be affected by nature. So this is like your Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu, when he went up to Mount Sinai, he didn't eat and he didn't drink. He was not bound by the, uh, by the limitations of the physical world because he was Moshe. But you and I are not that. So what do we do? We've got, to, we've got to work through the world of nature, but very aware of the fact that ultimately it's Hashem. So those are the three approaches. Um, we've got a few people who have just joined us a little bit later, so I'm just going to do a summary. So what, what we've tried to do this evening, and uh, it's important to me that uh, the shirim don't go too long, is that when we're looking at this whole idea of Hashem's involvement in the world, We've it through a prism of nature, of where is Hashem in the world of nature. So, we've had, on the one extreme, we've had the Rambam and the Ramban that are very much of the opinions that nature is nature, <coughs> and Hashem's involvement on an individual level that I can say, why is Hashem doing this to me, is only for those people who are on unique spiritual levels of, I, could, I think we could say, do not exist in this generation and haven't existed since the time of the prophets. So therefore, when something natural happens in the world, the answer is that's nature. Things happen in nature. Got to do the natural thing. Go to the doctor. You know, the last thing you do, according to the Rambam, if you get sick, is go to a, a rabbi. You go to the doctor. On the other hand, you have Rav Desla says everything that happens is for a reason. It comes directly from Hashem. So therefore, when something happens, first thing you need to do is ask why is this happening to me? What is Hashem trying to teach me? What can I learn from this experience? And, but because I can't get out of it because I'm not on a, that high a spiritual level, I need to go to the doctor as well. But ultimately, I've got to realize that the doctor is powerless. The doctor is not the one who's helping me. It's Hashem who's helping me. The doctor does not have anything other than the, Hashem is, allow, is healing me through the doctor, but it's all ultimately Hashem. The final opinion was Rav, Rav, uh, Rav Yosef Albo, says, No, the doctor is, has power. And the doctor can heal. And, but whether Hashem will allow him to heal or not is another question. So when you get sick, you've got to do everything in your power. You've got to put your own efforts in to ensure that you don't, uh, that you don't succumb. But ultimately, even if you do all the right things, you might not have the best outcome. According to Rav Desler, if you do all the right things, you should be fine. According to Rav Abel, even if you do the right things, there's no guarantee that everything is going to be okay. So that is uh you know class one a uh, I hope it wasn't uh, too um, too complex it was a uh, uh, quite a quite a complex uh, area of uh, of uh, of Jewish thought and um, I hope you uh, enjoyed it now what we are, what the plan is to do next week we are going to go on to a question which is quite similar and that is going to be the question of well, if things are going to happen anyway, what difference does it make? If my time is up, so if Hashem determined on, R- on Rosh Hashanah that I'm going to live to um, 80, so therefore I can smoke, I can drink, I can do, be reckless because I know I'm going to die when I'm 80. And if I die when I'm 45, it's because that's when Hashem ordained it and there's nothing I can do to do it. So we're going to deal with this idea, if, if life is preordained, do we have free choice? So that's going to be next week's class. Thank you so much for joining us, or joining me at least. Wonderful to see you.